In this episode, we discuss the tragic truths of abusive relationships. We discover just how common abuse is in our culture and in others. We establish the difference between a dysfunctional and an abusive relationship. We have a long chat with the executive director of a domestic violence shelter. We gain serious insights, hear some tragic tales, and share resources for getting help. All this and more right Right now. now. Hi. I'm Marco. And I'm Heather. We invite you on a journey of discovery as we explore techniques, tools, and inspiration to better our love lives and our sex lives. Join us as we travel the world, seeking out the stories that can help improve how we do romance and relationships. Come with us as we discover how how to to love love forever. forever. Hi. Welcome to today's episode of How to Love Forever, the podcast that focuses on relationships, love, and sex stuff. My name is Heather. And I'm Marco. In today's episode, we chat with Beth Flory, Executive Director of Safe House Nevada. We were so fortunate to be able to interview her, and she shares from her many years of experience helping women and children escape and heal from abusive relationships. Some of what she had to tell us is absolutely heartbreaking, but also incredibly inspiring. We think you will find it just as fascinating as we did, and we look forward to sharing it with you. Warning, however, this episode is a little more heavy than normal for us. We will be discussing elements of abuse and violence. Nothing too graphic, but still, there are things that may be painful to hear. We invite you to listen to it because we feel it is important for all of us to be well-educated to avoid experiencing situations such as these. We also understand if you just want to skip to a happier episode. That said, here we go. Thank you very much for being here at the How to Love Forever podcast. We'd love to welcome to the show today, Elizabeth Flory. Can you tell us a little bit about her? Yeah, a little quick intro. Beth Flory is the executive director of Safe House, located in Henderson, Nevada, a suburb of Las Vegas. Safe House is a comprehensive nonprofit serving victims of domestic violence with a 24-hour crisis hotline, emergency shelter, advocacy, counseling, outreach, and education. All of these services are free of charge to victims and their children. Beth has worked at Safe House for almost 13 years in various capacities, including answering the 24-hour crisis hotline, helping victims enter emergency shelter, children's advocacy, as well as human resources, training, volunteer coordination, and other administrative work. She has a bachelor's degree in psychology and sociology, a master's degree in human resource management, as well as her Society for Human Resource Management Certified Professional designation. Dang, lady, you've been busy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You sound like a really important person. So what is your... Why us... are you talking to us? <laughs> because you guys are awesome. Oh. Thank you. And you're talking about relationships, which is definitely in my wheelhouse. Thank you. Let's start with just a simple question. So with that long list of accolades and tituledges, what is your day like? So my average day now that I am the executive director of the agency is really helping the community understand what we do. Uh, that we exist in the community and we are there to help victims. Mm. And I also do a lot of uh, administrative tasks. So that's ensuring that the agency is financially stable. So, Mm. uh, you know, applying for grant funding. I have a grant writer I work with. And then just being in the community and soliciting grants and donations for our agency so that we can continue serving victims free of charge. (laughs) Is there ever enough funding? There's never enough funding. Mm. 
<laughs> but we, we do a very good job and we have been around since 1994. So um, even through the recessions that we've had and all these different challenges, safe houses continue to operate since that time. So. That is really fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, when I asked that question, of course, it sounded like I was trying to be comical, etc. And lighthearted indeed, maybe a little bit. But let's dive into that when there isn't enough funding what happens? What gets unserved? What goes wrong? So when there isn't enough funding for programs such as ours, it, it honestly, we're in the business of saving lives. Like domestic violence, that can mean abuse of a partner, but that can also mean homicide. So when we don't have enough funding to support programs like these, it literally means people get killed by their partner. And as the agency is you know, working, it starts scaling back on its employees. Um, maybe you don't have as many administrative employees to help keep that business running, which then impacts how the business functions. Mm. Uh, if you don't have those administrative employees and then you start scaling back your staff that are working directly with victims and it can really impact that ability to serve individuals who truly need help to get out of these situations. So really people suffer. They really do. Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah. Um, and considering on average, uh, you know, most victims of domestic violence are women, though it can impact anybody um, and has different dynamics in all different types of communities. But on average, it's one in four women that are victims of domestic violence. So if you're interacting with a group of individuals, most likely one of those people has been a victim of violence in their life, whether that's dating violence or relationship violence of any type. That is simply tragic. It's a tragic truth in our society that there is so much, I guess what I might call like inherited violence, you know, this sort of hand-me-down behavioral patterns that just keep breaking people over and over again. It's kind of one of the running themes of uh, some of the episodes that we're putting together is, is, you know, how to break those cycles and also how to identify them. What is the earliest sign that you should seek this kind of help? There are a lot of red flags that you may be in a relationship that is a domestic violence relationship. There are definitely differences between a relationship where maybe you have a lot of differences and it's not a the best relationship or you have a lot of dysfunction in that relationship. Mm -hmm. um, but the telltale red flags that you're probably in a situation with somebody who may be an abuser is when that relationship moves really quickly. So, you know, you, you get to know the person and this person wants to move in with you and be married with within a few weeks or a month. Wow. They may, yeah, they may insist that you stop participating in your hobbies or your uh, school. Maybe you're attending school. They ask you to quit school or, oh, you don't have to work. You can just quit your job. I'm going to take care of you. Kind of a trying to control your time sort of situation. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, want you all to himself, you know, guilt trips you when you want to go hang out with your friends or spend time with your friends, accuses you of cheating all the time when you have not been cheating, being unfaithful. They may call and text you throughout the day. They want to know where you are and what you're doing at all times. Keeping tabs. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, they'll criticize you and put you down, say things like you're, you're just crazy or you're stupid or make comments about your appearance. They can be very jealous. They don't take responsibility for their own behavior. So say maybe you get in a disagreement in your relationship and, and they won't take any responsibility for that disagreement. And that definitely goes in the case of past relationships. So they're talking to you about their past relationships and it's, my ex is totally crazy, never takes any accountability for their own actions inside that relationship. Right. I'm um, sorry, are you are you describing my, my ex-boyfriend? No, because... she's describing my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, very possible. Oh. <laughs> 
This all sounds disturbingly familiar. And one one really big one is that this individual can rage out of control at you, but then be perfectly calm with everybody else. We see that a lot when police are called to a situation. The police will arrive at a situation and the abusive partner can just be like, nothing ever happened. Everything is fine. And super calm, like on a dime, like just instantly calm. Whereas then the victim has just been abused. And so they're hysterical. They're super so emotional. to the police, it can look like the reverse. Right. Because but, the abuser can be calm. Yeah. So aren't the police trained to see that sort of reverse counterintuitive dichotomy going on in the social interactions between somebody who's just been like abused and battered or subject to all of these kind of shit behaviors and the person who's trying to cover himself? Like, it's like a kid. <laughs> when he breaks the candy bowl in the kitchen. He's like, yeah, it wasn't me. You know? It wasn't me. I mean, it was my, my brother. I mean, shouldn't that be obvious to a police officer? I'm just asking. Is that something like part of the training regimen that you think like, or, or that is in existence uh, from programs like your own? Yeah, so we definitely interact with the police quite a bit. We actually have an advocate stationed at the Henderson Police Department to assist victims. Now, Great. with any training, you know, there's so many layers to that whether sure. they absorb the training. And I hate to say it, we also have worked with a lot of victims who abusers are police officers. Mm. So that's not that uncommon, actually, for an abuser to be a police officer. And mm. police officers work within their rules that they're set to do. So they're, they have a set of rules. You know, you think like the military. You have a set of rules. You enter a situation. You follow those set of rules. And so if they see, you know, maybe the victim has fought back and created some kind of you know physical damage to the abusive partner then they may arrest both parties so it's very common that we see both parties arrested in these situations they're supposed to go with this concept of primary aggressor which is the individual who's most likely to cause harm but whether that happens all the time it just does not happen all the time huh. <laughs> and that's the honest truth <laughs> so circling back to dysfunction in general we uh you know in our research we came across articles that mentioned that there are levels of dysfunction in pretty much every relationship ever, right? And so what are ways that we can avoid like massive amounts of dysfunction? And I think, yeah, what are ways that we can avoid massive amounts of dysfunction? And how to tell the difference between just dysfunctional and we don't have proper boundaries and communication in place, and then when it crosses that line to abuse. Can I rephrase that question a little sure, bit? Okay. <laughs> so we've seen in the articles that we were studying in order to do this particular interview with you is that there are there is a sliding scale uh, to how much dysfunction there is in a relationship to you know anywhere from like oh no he doesn't wash the dishes or he lies about. I don't know, masturbating to, you know, he's coming at me with a machete in the middle of the night. Uh, mm -hmm. And obviously that's a real horror story and I don't mean to make light of it. It's an actual example. So just so you know, a good friend of mine um, who is a survivor, her partner used to sit and sharpen his machete and make threats at her uh, at night. So I absolutely believe that example. 
Jeez. Yeah. No, I wasn't kidding. I mean, people obviously people die because of the relationships they're in. This is not good. Oh, yeah. But again, so you were you were talking about warning signs and I think a lot of us can relate to those warning signs. But say for example, little 20-year-old Heather when she first got into this committed relationship that quickly descended into severe dysfunction and then onto abuse. What could she have done differently and how could she have seen the signs that it was going to head in such an unhealthy direction? So definitely knowing those red flags is is probably the first step. Now, there's a kind of an analogy that's used a lot in our world about the frog put into a boiling pot of water. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I'm not sure if you've heard this one before, but oh, it's... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you throw, you know, if you put a frog in a, in a pot for our listeners, if you put a frog in a pot of water and you slowly increase the heat, it will not jump out and boil to death. But if you throw the frog in while it's hot, it'll jump out immediately, right? With a lot of these relationships, this isn't necessarily something that happens immediately, right? Mm -hmm. it, it can be this kind of slow moving coup, if you call it, where they just start doing these insidious types of behaviors. And then before you know it, you're in the middle of this abusive situation. Now, probably the most important thing to think about in a dysfunctional relationship versus a domestic violence relationship is power and control. So in a domestic violence relationship, it is 100% about power and control over the other partner. Whereas in a dysfunctional relationship, you may not like what each other do. You know, you use the dishes, the washing the dishes example. You know, some people are raised differently in how clean they are and, and how often they're going to clean up the house, you know, or how sure. they communicate with one another can yeah. even be different. But there is still some form of mutual agreement in that relationship. I <laughs> say in a domestic violence relationship, it, it is one person who is attempting to insert complete control over the other person. That's that's pretty clear cut. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. clear cut. One of them is a, a difference in preferences, perhaps, and the other one is literally a struggle for control of a of that human being. Is yeah. that what you're saying, sort of? Yeah. Yeah, I can I can definitely relate to that. From personal experience, I found it incredibly difficult to. So I didn't come across the term gaslighting until many years later, but it definitely, in retrospect, it seemed as though my ex-boyfriend was trying to get me to believe that nothing I understood was real and that I didn't know my own mind. So then leaving him was, oh, I just, I didn't know what to believe anymore. So it was it was incredibly difficult to see that I was in, you know, such a an abusive situation. It, I had a group of friends who did um, uh, an intervention and I was at a point where I was like, this is something has got to give something has to change. And fortunately, they were there at that time and they did an intervention with me and it took hours of communication and like drawing me out to realize Oh my gosh, I'm that girl. How did I become that girl? Mm. Right? Like that was so mind boggling to me. Like it completely shook my worldview. That was a different guy, by the way, not me. <laughs> yeah, 
very, very different. <laughs> 180. Um, but so what are ways, what are techniques that you employ to help people realize that they're in those situations and that they need to seek an exit strategy or, or help in some form? Yeah, what are interventionist tools, basically, that you can <laughs> help pry a person out with? Well, you know, one of the biggest things is is we can't force anybody mm -hmm. out of their situation. It's all about self-determination. So, yeah. you know, our role, say when a victim calls our crisis hotline, for example, and they're describing to us, we ask them to describe to us like their most recent incident of abuse. And so through that, we'll end up chatting with them just about, you know, the situations occur and how this is not part of, a, you know, a loving, healthy relationship. And we also will often use the statement in other situations such as yours, where we've seen this type of behavior, XYZ, it makes us very concerned for you because these individuals in your similar situation often end up harmed or, or even killed. And we're very, we're very concerned for you. And just really, honestly, taking the time to listen to their story and, and what they have to say about what's going on, and then helping them uh, understand from our perspective that this may not be a healthy relationship and this is an abusive relationship and then giving them the options of, of what's available via services, whether that is, you know, coming into an emergency shelter, which can be a very difficult choice to make yeah. and then safety planning with the individual. So one of the most dangerous times in a relationship is when you decide to leave. Of That's course. usually when the abuse escalates. Mm -hmm. And so we'll sit and talk through safety plans on, okay, maybe right now is not not the time you want to leave, but maybe you'll want to a couple weeks from now or a month from now. So let's talk about what that looks like and, and how you can prepare yourself safety-wise to leave that situation because it can be very dangerous. And it and it takes anywhere on average like seven to nine times for mm. somebody to leave that type of relationship. You think about any partner, you know, I've had many relationships, um, not abusive relationships, and to choose to leave them was hard in itself. Right. And it wasn't even abusive. Yeah. So, you know, you're in a situation where you're literally fearful for your life or you're questioning yourself because this person has told you you're crazy or you talk <laughs> to them about a situation and they tell you you're wrong or you point out that they did something and they just are like, nope, I didn't do that, even though you literally saw them do it. You know, that can even make it more challenging when it comes time to leave that situation. So really, it's just it's just having real conversations with people that are sometimes challenging and, and, and difficult to have. <laughs> Incredibly. There's a couple of things that you just pointed out that I think I want to touch on. I mean, for one thing, that whole situation just sounds Orwellian to me, where you are in a cycle of abuse that you don't even see because you're so conditioned. And, you know, mm -hmm. it takes somebody else to say, hey, man, you're getting abuse, you know? And, and that person is going, no, no, the victim's going, no, I'm not. Maybe it was my fault. All of those classic things. But mm -hmm. um, the, the, the fact that it also sounds like some kind of World War II movie where they have to plan their escape like they're in a Nazi death camp or something. You know, like one mm -hmm. day you dig a hole, like just a tiny little bit, and then you take the dirt out, you know, that kind of situation. And then the next day you take another spoonful of dirt out until you've made an entire tunnel that you can, like, get out of there safely because otherwise you might die if you just try to do it, like, that very night, you know, like yeah. when you first discover. Yeah. I, I, I've never been in this situation, but it sounds to me like this would be one of the hardest points in that relationship is not cluing the aggressor in 
to the fact that you're preparing to make your move. Is yes, and some of those safety time? plans have to be quite elaborate. So uh, there's actually a couple movies that show this really well. Um, one of them is Sleeping with the Enemy with Julia Roberts. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, I remember her that. Her safety plan is extremely elaborate. Right. <laughs> but it is an example of a very good example of one where she, you know, hides belongings um, before she leaves. She ends up escaping by pretending that she drowned, basically. Yeah, Took well. swimming classes undercover. Um now the movie en enough with uh oh uh Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> okay. Mm. That is another example and but her, she takes hers to a bit to the extreme on uh okay. <laughs> I don't recommend her her final action in that movie, but she does also have um amazing examples of of safety planning in that movie as well. Yeah. yeah. That is interesting. I don't know. The only movie I've ever seen Jennifer Lopez in is actually called U-Turn. And that's another totally crazy dysfunctional <laughs> relationship movie. I don't know if you've ever seen that one uh, where uh, Sean Penn gets stuck in the middle of the Arizona desert because his car breaks down in this tiny little town. And while his car is getting fixed... Uh, he meets J-Lo and uh, of course she is like the uh, captive wife of you know this crazy abuser like real estate agent guy and anyway it all becomes like this whole escape from the dysfunctional small town relationship <laughs> that she's in kind of plot like with Sean Penn once his car gets fixed and it is like just the worst example of how to make a getaway from a dysfunctional relationship that you could ever see <laughs> Jennifer Lopez Sean Penn, you turn, watch it, and then tell us, no, tell, us that I'm, tell, tell us that I'm right, that it is not what to do because they all end up dead. Okay, spoiler. <laughs> no, but, but uh, you know, not meaning to make light of that. But, yeah, it does seem to be, I mean, for somebody like me who, and, and like Heather, who strives for a certain amount of just, like, sense and technique and mutual respect in a relationship, this all sounds wildly Hollywoodian, you know? Oh, yeah. And Some of the things that I would see when I, I'm really glad I spent time working actually in our emergency shelter and helping uh, survivors get into that shelter is because the things that I saw would just blow your mind. Like any way that a person can control you, they will do it. Yeah. So, you know, that is, uh, say you're an undocumented immigrant, they will threaten to call ice on you yeah. like we had plenty yeah, that's a big of, one to hold of, on you that's so common in that community yeah um threaten to take your children away from you mm -hmm. um if you're in an lgbtq relationship they'll threaten to out you to your your employer to your family if you have not come out with your sexuality yet uh that's really common um if you have a disability, say that you're hard of hearing and you have hearing aids. I've seen somebody break hearing aids or take away somebody's wheelchair so that they literally cannot leave the house. Um, I mean, and that's the, so it goes even beyond like physical assault, right? You know, yeah. oh, it, it can sure. get into that. Whatever way they can control you. I've seen glasses broken so that you literally can't see where you're going. So basically any liability you have, which translates to almost like what you've been, the examples you've been putting out is any deviation from the norm is something that can be leveraged against you in a control situation. And, yeah. and well, I don't even know if it's about deviation from the norm, but any trigger point, any supposed weakness. Liability that you know or or whatever your fears are because i know friends who can't get out of a relationship because they're afraid of 
not having enough money. I'm sure that's incredibly common. That That is probably the, the major reason. Um, and you get in this kind of interesting dynamic, too, when it comes to children, because one of the control tactics is through reproductive coercion. So, you know, breaking condoms and um, <laughs> I see Marco putting his hands on his face. Oh, yeah, we've had abusers go to like the gynecologist with the individual and basically kind of put mm-hmm. put this individual into having children they don't even want. Now you have multiple children. You've been prevented from having a job that is either like, oh, honey, you don't have to work work. So now you've been out of work for a while. It's hard to get a job. Mm -hmm. Um, Or we've had abusers actually go to the job and cause so many problems that an an individual is is fired from their place of work because of that situation. We try to educate the community on that quite a bit. But so then you have no source of income and you have, you know, several children you have to take care of. So you start weighing your option. And and with most mothers, I know they would put themselves on the line for their children. Like I'd you know, throw myself in front of a car for my children. Right. Yeah. Kind of comes with being, I don't have any children, but (laughs) most mothers I know. So then you start to think about, okay, I have no financial way to take care of my children. I'd rather put myself in arm's way because maybe he's not abusive to the children um, so that they're taken care of and and they have food and they have clothes and stuff like that. Because to leave and go to, you know, a shelter program, we mentioned that safety planning, usually you can only take maybe a suitcase of stuff or a backpack of stuff. It It is also very common that we have individuals come with just the clothes on their backs yeah. and that's it. Mm. Literal refugees from their own yeah. lives. And another tactics abusers will use is destroying documentation. So shredding driver's licenses and birth certificates and social security <sighs> cards or immigration paperwork so that you literally don't have the documents to be able to go get employed. So that's one of the things wow. we work with with clients is I am constantly signing checks for getting a new driver's license or getting your birth certificate requested from another state. It's or, like the opposite man. of doxing someone, you know, it's like mm-hmm. mixing them. That's crazy. Yeah. That ugh. I mean, that makes me admire what you and your nonprofit and, and all the others who fill those roles. What you do is so incredibly painfully important. And heroic. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, saving that. one life is <laughs> heroic enough. And, you know, when you turn it into your avocation and you do it over and over and over again, one human being at a time. Oh, my God. Thank you. Yeah, my, my advocates who work directly with clients, particularly those who, you know, attend court hearings and stuff, I, I really, really give it to them because that is they hear this stuff in these stories. If you can think of something to do to harm somebody, somebody has done it. Right. And so, you know, we, we have employees whose whose clients have been killed by their abusive partners and you see it in the news sometimes before they even hear it so like they're sitting there watching the news and all of a sudden this news article comes up and it's like oh shoot that's my client (laughs) so it's (laughs) like that's not so i was gonna say that's a lot of ptsd for your clients and and everybody who you know is getting out of these abusive relationships 
But how do you and how do the people you work with keep your emotional landscape healthy and not incredibly dark all yeah, the time? I'm sure your advocates have got some serious gallows humor in order to just keep going. Like, what oh, what do you guys do? And, and the most interesting part is that the vast majority of our employees are survivors themselves. It's mm. why they get drawn to the field. It makes sense. Um, and or maybe they were a, a survivor of child abuse or sexual assault or some other form of abuse that's all in the same kind of wheelhouse. We promote self-care a lot. You know, I'm not a, a marriage and family therapist or, or a licensed clinical social worker, um, but you know, I can talk a bit about there's this thing called secondary uh, traumatic stress or, or a trauma exposure response. So it's basically when you hear the stories of abuse, you can take it in yourself and experience the same aspects of trauma that somebody who actually directly felt that trauma can feel. Mm -hmm. And so like one thing is surreptitiously uh, internalizing it. Yes. Yeah. So you hear it mm. and you actually start to visualize it. It can change how you view the world. You may start thinking, all men are bad, for example, right? Because <laughs> you hear so many stories of, of uh, times where men are bad, right? Yeah. So we, first of all, we have um, really good medical coverage uh, that I do not charge the employees for their medical out of their paycheck. Mm. And part of that includes behavioral health options or, or mental health services. Um, Great. You can go on your phone onto like a virtual counseling if you need it so that the staff can use outlets that way. You know, we constantly have self-care as part of our training training program of how to take care of yourself, not put all your eggs in one basket, you know, diversify your interests, go out with friends, keep that work-life balance so that you're not consumed by what we do. Because if you are a survivor who's working in the field, you're also much more susceptible to that because it may remind you of what happened to you in your past when you work with these clients because you'll hear similar stories. You know, many, many things that people do is the same, you know, like how many times I can tell you that people have had their clothing destroyed. I mean, that's real common. Um, wow. One of our people who speak on our behalf said that her abuser would take one shoe so that she couldn't walk out on him of every pair. What? But they take that time. Wow. Um, wow. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sneaky techniques. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So just whatever you can think of, they will do. And so we really encourage self-care. We do activities around self-care and are just supportive of one another and also try to recognize when we're not feeling good that maybe we need to take some time off. So we also have a very robust time off package at my job That's so that wonderful. you can take days off away from hearing all of these stories and situations. That's so good. So what are some resources for our listeners who might be going through uh, an abusive relationship? What can they do? Where can they go to start looking for help? So, um, most major cities have domestic violence organizations. If you, you know, Google, you know, domestic violence and the name of your city, most likely uh, an agency will pop up. Now, there also is the National Domestic Violence Hotline. The National Domestic Violence Hotline will uh, answer the phone and then direct you to programs that are in your local area. So, we actually get a lot of calls from the national hotline. And I think that has to do with the type of city we also reside in. Las Vegas is a very transient city. We get a mm -hmm. lot of people from out of state into our city. And so we will get referrals from that hotline, which is just 1-800-799-SAFE. S-A-F-E? S-A-F-E. So that would be 7233. 
Yes. And yeah, we'll have we'll have resources in the show description as well. Yeah, there's going to be anything you want to send us. We're going to put it in the show description so that people can just click on it if they feel they need to. And we'll- yeah, because there's there is a lot of information out there too, and even on the websites like the National Domestic Violence Hotline website or the National Network to End Domestic Violence website, they have a lot of uh, tips. You know, if you're a bystander, you know your your family member is in this type of relationship, um, how you can help them, and and those red flags. Also, the power and control wheel is a real popular resource in our field because that talks about all the different types of abuse that somebody might experience. And somebody may experience like one of these or maybe all of them. It's different in every relationship, but, you know, emotional abuse, economic abuse, sexual, uh, using your children against you, threats and coercion, isolation, uh, intimidation, you know, minimizing, denying, blaming. And then, of course, that physical abuse that is most classic, what people think about. Yeah, but it comes in so many forms. And I think that for many of us, that's one of the the things that made it difficult to understand that it was abuse. Because if you're not getting hit, you're like, well, I mean, it's not really abuse, is it? And that is exactly the case. And we actually have quite a few of our survivors who call the hotline that we are actually helping them understand that they're in an abusive situation, especially in that specific scenario where this person is controlling all of their finances. They're, you know, calling them all kinds of cuss words all day long, but they don't recognize it because they're not in a physical relationship and then are a physical abusive relationship. And then you also get into the scenario of culture where, you know, individuals cultures dictate the level of what they believe is acceptable and not. So you may end up, Mm. we have individuals that I would say, if you think of it like a spectrum of abuse, it may be very normal in their culture to be smacked or hit uh, Mm. by their partner. But, you know, in our culture, we say that's not acceptable. And of course, we believe that it's not acceptable, right? (laughs) So there's that too of of that cultural... balance if that makes sense (laughs) it reminds me of a time when we were traveling in near asia and and there was a time when we were speaking with a friend that we made there and she was telling us how when she went to prom was it Mm -hmm. Uh, she was our translator basically and and when she went to prom it was with a boy and and another boy liked her and it's sort of as a flirtatious abuse I suppose he was um, scarring her with cigarettes. With a, a lighter. With a lighter, yeah. sorry. Burning her with a lighter. He was upset that she wasn't there with him, even though he was there with a, another girlfriend. And, and this is prom, mind you. Yeah. So he, yeah. he flirtatiously burned her with his lighter, and the other girlfriend was upset that he was flirting with her. I mean, she had burn marks <laughs> to show years later. It's like, what? And yeah, yeah. So Not speaking cool. of what is acceptable being culturally <laughs> determined, yeah, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah, because it's it's what you're used to. And, and that's why even individuals who grew up in abusive relationships are far more likely to end up in abusive relationships themselves or the abuser themselves because it's what's normal to the individual. So those, mm-hmm. they don't sense the red flags. 
because that's just what they normally saw every single day when they grew up. So yeah. you're then in a relationship living, and, yeah. and this person right. talking down to you is normal because that's how dad talked down to mom or, or whomever. So it, it's kind of the same as the cultural aspect where it's what you're used to. Regional so culture, family why would culture, it seem weird? That. Yeah. And so it's incredibly important for children to learn from an early age how to set boundaries and what are healthy patterns and what to expect in a balanced and healthy relationship, yeah? Absolutely, and that's uh, the teen piece and the children's piece, it's an important part of our organization. Uh, I fulfilled the role of children's advocate for about four and a half years, and I had those kind of conversations with you know kids and teens about setting boundaries and what is healthy and in those relationships. Uh, and we are currently working to try to get into the Clark County School District, mm. which is the school district in the Las Vegas Valley to be able to teach some of these relationship issues with the teenagers specifically, because the other part of domestic violence, we don't think about it. It it is a crime in the United States. Mm -hmm. So having a dysfunctional relationship is not a crime, but assaulting and abusing your partner absolutely is a crime that can be charged. So it's also knowing your rights Mm. uh, under the law. Yeah. So it's a combination. So that's something that we're actually exploring right now. And and we do have a pilot program with one of the high schools to start that education actually in the classroom. Oh, that's going to be so good. Fabulous. Definitely. Well, keep so many us things updated. that teenagers do, you would think it's awesome. Like, oh, my boyfriend's texting me all day long, all through class. He must love me so much. Or he tells me I look um, bad in this outfit. He wants to make sure I look extra pretty. You know, like those are things that you know, as a teenager, seems like awesome. But really, well, he wants to flag. take care of me. That's why he's so yeah. controlling. Once you see it in a different light, you start seeing it as ill will masquerading as goodwill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Are there any particular resources where you can point people to identify ill will masquerading as goodwill? Is there a chart? Do you guys have a graphic? (laughs) There are definitely lots of graphics and charts. First of all, we love our wheels in the domestic violence field when they created... Yeah, because the only time I ever heard of a power and control wheel, it was at an S&M dungeon. So tell us about your power and control wheel, please. (laughs) Which, you know, BDSM, if it's under the, you know, guise of a relationship where you have mutual respect for each other and you mutually want to engage in those activities, it is not domestic violence. Right, yeah, because... Because it's, it's about agreements and it's about open communication, right? Knowingly entering into it with consent, right? That kind of situation. Yes, consent is the key word <laughs> there. Having safe words, right? Like, yeah. 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 You, now, if this person, you have one person who's in the partnership who wants uh, to engage in those type of activities and the other person does not and forces them into that, well, then it's, it's no longer. Coercion is abuse. Yeah, coercion is abuse, exactly. So again, you know, you get on the internet, you Google red flags of domestic violence, or you Google power and control wheel domestic violence, then those those resources pop right up. You could do an image search on the power control wheel and it will come up. It is a very famous uh, infographic, if you will, that's been around for ages before infographics were popular. <laughs> yeah, thanks for letting us know about that one. I never knew and I... we will definitely Google it and I'm going to like make a copy of it and, and stick it in like the Facebook 
Facebook How to Love Forever site just mm -hmm. so that it's there for people to just look at and ponder whether or not they themselves might be in an abusive relationship. It's good to be able to identify it in others. Yeah, and there's even power control reels for different um, situations, too. So like if you're in a LGBTQIA plus relationship, how uh, the different types of abuse a person might use. Um, also for immig immigrant status, if you're an uh, undocumented immigrant, the types of techniques they may use, um, different uh, cultures, uh, different religions, they even have power and control wheels for so that you can just see kind of the nuance of the ways that people control each other, essentially. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm very excited to look that up. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I can definitely incredible. share you um, all of that so that you yeah. have it to be able to put in your link so that people yeah. can read. And then I think the only other one that's really important to know is about the cyclical nature of abuse, which is there's an actual like phase that most abusers will go through where they have a honeymoon phase where they're super nice and loving and buy you flowers and take you out to dinner. And I'm so sorry, baby. I love you. I don't know what I did. I the don't know what I was thinking. Blah, blah, blah. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> and right. then there's that tension building where you know, you start feeling that abuse come on, they start saying and doing things, irritability, um, blaming those types of activities, mm -hmm. and then you'll have that acute explosion. And, and then it turns back to the honeymoon phase, which is again, why it's so difficult to leave relationships, because when they're in that honeymoon phase it is the best part of your life. Yeah. Like, it is the most amazing time with that person. They're so loving. It's the worm on the hook, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's been there, done that. Uh, as in having been in an abusive relationship, I definitely recognize the honeymoon period that you're talking about, the grumpy period, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. And uh, then it just turns into all out madness toward the end. I never had the resources to seek out help for myself. And perhaps the uh, sort of male bias in society prevented me from even recognizing it as such. I just thought it was crap relationship. But quite honestly, like all of these hallmarks and all of these warning signs that you keep talking about a lot of them were there so it qualifies and, uh, and we we recognize that too that you know in our culture men generally are not supposed to talk about these type of situations and and it can be embarrassing to a man to say that they're in this type of relationship and so that's one of the reasons we there are many reasons why we believe women are victims more often but we do think that um, our male victims are underreported for oh, those types of reasons yeah i believe that 100 percent yeah. You know, and it's such a disservice to men that they just they've been trained to this point to not be comfortable and able to, to share their vulnerability and to be seen as somebody who can be aggressed on just as much as, you know, women can be. There's a great sh uh, show called The Mask We Live In. Hmm. that talks a little bit about that type of situation. Hmm. If, I, if I can find the link, I'll share it with you also that you can put that in your resources. That yeah. is a really good we're one gonna to watch. We're going to add so much to this. That. Yeah, we're putting together pages and pages, you know, as we go for like the How to Love Forever website. I want it to be more than just a place where you could just click on podcasts. It's a place where you can look at articles and learn lessons and have visual aids like the, like the uh, control and 
command power. wheels. No, wait, that's on my keyboard. Power and control. The power power and control, control wheels. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, wait, that's on my keyboard. Um, but... And there is an equity wheel too. So there is the, the opposite of that wheel oh, that you can oh. look up that's like, this is what a, a good relationship is supposed to look so like. Good and it's called that, was I love it. that was one of my next questions. Are there graphics that can show you the good stuff? Yeah, that's good to know yeah. too. What, what to strive towards. Yeah, examples. So, hey, I know you need to go now. Uh, can I ask you one last kind of close-up question? For sure. What got you into this this line of work? Why do you do what you do? <laughs> oh, goodness. That, that is a multi-level answer. Um, well, you're so, a multi-level person. We're so going to keep kinda... you forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I've worked in the social service agency for a long time. Now, I, I am one of the lucky people that my parents were not abusive to one another. You know, just like any relationship, every relationship has levels of dysfunction. Yep. But my, my family, my parents were not. Um, but I did see some of these relationships in uh, extended family members. And my very first exposure to a domestic violence relationship was actually with one of my relatives as a teenager. So a teen mm. dating violence relationship. Oh. And then moving on from there, getting into the social service work, uh, working with children for many years. I worked in juvenile detention for a while, um, traumatic brain injury. And I noticed that there was a common theme that a lot of uh, situations linked back to being in homes that had these type of situations occurring within the home. So, you know, domestic violence abuser is 50% more likely to abuse their children. So a lot of the children whom I encountered were abused, their parents were an abusive relationship. So I saw the link between all of those things. And then also being a survivor of sexual assault, that is a, also a power and control move, which is also highly linked to domestic violence uh, relationships. And so it's all about the society in which you live and what they view as acceptable behavior. Uh, the society in which we live in particular sees oftentimes that the female gender is of less importance than the male gender. Now, we are obviously better in the United States than in many other countries. However, we still have many of these types of belief systems. It's why you see far less women in government. It's why we make less than men and all those things, right? And so for me, it's, it's really this kind of combination of believing that we need to have a society that's equal. And domestic violence is in that realm of equality. Does that make sense? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was a very complicated answer. I could I could probably go on for a while um, discussing, but you know, I just I saw these relationships and so many people surrounding me, and luckily, I've never been in a physically domestic violence relationship myself ever. I've definitely seen signs of situations in these red flags, but um, I've had a lot of family and friends who have been in these situations for sure. Well, it sounds like you have a ton of stories and a ton of wisdom to share with people, and we're probably going to have to have you back. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Maybe we can do a progress report on the organization later on, you know, things like that under your amazing leadership. Again, yeah. congratulations on your new position. Yes, thank you. I'm I'm very excited to see what I can do to help people. Like that that really you asked me why I do this and and the number one reason is to help people and so many different issues intersect with this particular issue. I mean, substance use is highly in, in 
correlated with this issue. Um, just so many, so many realms of social service overlap. And so it's a great space to be able to help a lot of people. And, and I've seen just amazing transformations in individuals when they came into our shelter and I was like, oh my goodness, like, I'm not sure they're going to make it. Like, I'm really worried for them. And then they stop in our office five years later and own a business. Ah. <laughs> Man, <laughs> we have several, several survivors who own their own businesses. And ah. I have four employees who are previous clients of ours. So good on you. <laughs> That's that, that has to be incredibly validating yeah. and motivating to keep yeah. doing what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I know that you've got a very busy schedule today. I wanted to thank you very much for coming. And I know that you already laid on us a few links and a few WWWs and all that stuff earlier in the interview. But would you mind just blurbing contact for your particular organization in case anyone in Clark County, Nevada is looking for a little helping hand. Absolutely. So you can reach Safe House at our 24-hour crisis hotline at 702-564-3227. You can also look us up on the web. We're at www.safehousenv.org. And we also have our office. Our office is open nine to five, Monday through Friday. So if you just want counseling or advocacy and you don't feel like you need shelter, um, then you can call our office at 702-451-4203. Ah, that's fantastic. And again, we will put all of that information in the show notes so to make it easier to look up. But thank you so much, Beth. Elizabeth, You're thank you. You're... Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad I'm part of this podcast. It's such an important aspect of it. So I'm excited that you you called me up and invited me to join. Oh, it's thank our you pleasure. for joining the community. <laughs> this is, I mean, this is what we're trying to do. Is we're trying to create an army of love and decent relationshiping. Yeah. And so thank you so much for being part of that. And we're definitely going to be like. Hey, you want to come back and play again? <laughs> oh, there's so many more things I could talk about. I mean, yes, it, it yes, just please. goes on and on. The economic impact of domestic violence on the community is its own topic. So, uh, Yeah, we can definitely yeah. put that on the calendar. Yeah, yes, we'll please. put that on the calendar. In yeah. fact, as many bits of input that you think are helpful for people out there, we are most welcome to. So anyway, <laughs> I just wanted to stop the stammering and the mumbling and just say thank you again. You're welcome star see all right you soon. thank you so i didn't know if you wanted to stay on for a few minutes well i thought you Nate had to hugs, run babe. But you gotta go right oh yeah i got like two wow you were watching the time closely okay. bye-bye bye. bye well that was an incredibly heavy episode Oof. wasn't it yeah but i think it was a pretty hopeful one yeah right knowing that there are so many advocates like beth and her organization safe house nevada Safe House Nevada, you guys are heroes. And all of those advocates and all of those groups all across the nation, you are all heroes. Thank you so much for doing the work that you do. You're Please. saving lives. Every day. Props. Mm -hmm. In addition to the organizations, all of the other, the friends and the loved ones who see their person going through abuse and trying to find ways to help them, we see you. We see we you. Know. It's hard. It is hard. And your friends who are going through this, if you just reach out and lend a hand, they will remember you forever and we hope it gets better 
So, yeah, we ended up covering quite a lot of ground in this episode. We absolutely did, yeah. We talked about the red flags of abusive relationships, mm-hmm. the uh, the power and control thing. Like, that's what... The power like, and control wheel? Yeah, the power and the control wheel. The thing I wheel. thought that I saw at the S&M dungeon? <laughs> I think that's a, that's a different kind of wheel. <laughs> yeah, totally different kind of wheel. Yeah, we also talked about how common abuse is in people's lives. Uh, like, one in four people one have been four. subjected to some kind of abuse in their lifetime. That is an incredible statistic, and it's heartbreaking. I mean, honestly, I just think about when I'm hanging out with friends, how many of us have experienced abuse in our lifetimes. Right. And you don't just have to be a woman or a child. You can also be a man and experience this relationship. And I want to shout out to any man who's feeling like they might be under that category, because I'm just going to flat out say it, even though it isn't popular among men culture, that it happens to us. It happens to all humans. Mm -hmm. And we are building a page on our How to Love Forever website to contain resources for those who are looking for help or looking for help for their loved ones. So hopefully men take advantage of that uh, just as much as women do. Yeah. And we understand that this was a difficult topic, but we do feel it's very important for all of us to be aware of what the red flags of abuse are Mm -hmm. and overall work toward creating a culture of healthier, more fun, more balanced relationship. Yes, please. Those are the best kinds of relationship. (laughs) And these tools will help. I agree. Well, that's it for our show today. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. And remember, you can always reach out to us on Facebook, for example, at facebook.com slash howtoloveforever, on Instagram at hownumeral2loveforever. And if you are so full of love, you got to show it in bigger ways, we invite you to join our community on Patreon. Mm. We have a range of relationship levels you can choose from, and the more committed you become, the more perks you're going to be getting. Go check it out, patreon.com. Join us next week when we explore the wild and wonderful world of alternative relationship structures. Yes, it's a taxonomical journey through the postmodern romantic landscape. Literally something for everyone. So until then, remember, love deep. Love hard. Love love forever. forever. Good dork. I was like, you didn't do it together. Why don't we do it together? Do it together! We have to jump at the same time. We're frauds because we're not doing it together.